indwells us. And so, yes, uh, we, we're going to keep fighting and we're going to keep doing what we can to not sin. But we're reminded that if we do sin, we have an advocate. And I thought this was just a cool example in the Word of God where it's not just, okay, we have an advocate. We talked about how an advocate is in a defense attorney. It's somebody who fights for us. It's somebody who pleads our cause and our case. And, you know, and the whole word there is parakaleo. It's the same exact Greek word in John 14 says we have the comforter. So our comforter is actually the one who pleads for us. And then he says, and Jesus Christ. And we saw that he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he says, and if we do sin, we have that advocate. And they say, he goes on to say that he was our propitiation. Uh, he paid the price. Why? And we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God desires to do a work in and through us. I was just saying this with somebody yesterday in my driveway. Isn't it amazing that God loves us? Not just us. He loves us. Let that echo around you. But uh, the bottom line is he wants us to know him. And he wants us to draw close to him. He wants us to be like him. And so even when we are flawed, even in our sinfulness, and when we do wrong, he gives us an opportunity. And he's so patient. He is so long-suffering. He gives us opportunity to not only just think about what we've done, but to gives us time to, be, to, 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 to deal with it and to repent of it and to confess it. And when we do that, he's faithful just to forgive us. Why? Because he wants us to become the righteousness of God in him. So as we come into today's passage, we're going to look at verses 3 through 6. So if you would follow along as I begin reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. It says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought, also, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Lord, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we find several things in these four verses, Lord, that really give credence to the fact that we truly know you or not. And Lord, as I prayed earlier, as, a, as we went through the, as the beginning of the service, Lord, that we might... Be honest with ourselves, Lord. And the question this morning, Lord, is not whether or not we go to church. It's not whether or not we give to help a need or a project or so forth, Lord. It's not whether or not we're nice people. None of those things will matter in eternity, Lord. Lord, what matters is whether or not we have a relationship with you, whether or not we put our faith and our trust in you. And if we have, Lord, these things should be evident in our life. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be honest with ourselves this morning. I pray, God, that we would, Lord, if there be one here, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be the day of salvation for them. And, Lord, that they might walk out differently than they came in this morning. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are a lot of people who claim, quote-unquote, to be Christians. The sad part about that is that the world around us has a skewed view of what Christianity is. Uh, the bottom line is, you know, we see it all around us. We saw it in the hearings with the judge that was a, possibly going to be appointed to the Supreme Court as a justice. And when someone thought they were off microphone, it was actually a hot mic still, and they said, well, that's just because of her Christian backgrounds. You know, people have a reputation based on how they live. And a lot of times, 
if you have a wrong lifestyle, you're going to give a wrong reputation. If you are a person walking with Christ who is truly living out the principles of Jesus Christ in your life, you're going to have a good reputation for that, though it may not be appreciated by the world. But the reality is people have a viewed a view of Christianity. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. A lot of people claim to know Jesus. A lot of people claim to be Christians by the very fact that they may go to church or they may be a good person. They may be kind to people. They may help the poor. They may give to a cause or a project. And because of these things, oftentimes they think they're Christians. But the bottom line is, as we said many times and in many ways, actions speak louder than words. And just because someone says something doesn't necessarily make it true. So, in the next text, we see at least four tests of genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's consider them this morning. The first one is found in verse 3. Right away, verse 3 says, Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. We expect obedience, which is the first test, from our children, right? I mean, there's not a one of us who says, Hey, Johnny, I want you to, and, but it's okay if you don't. We expect, when we tell our kids to pick up the toys or when they take out the trash, or to clean your room, we expect them to do it, right? I mean, because obedience is really something that we instill. I mean, we've never had to sit down and say, now, Johnny, this is how you be disobedient. We've never had to train for that. But we do train them to do what we expect of them. So we expect it of our children. In fact, not only that, we admire it when we see it in other children. How often have you been into a restaurant, and you look over in that family, their kids are all obedient? They do what's right. They're doing what their parents tell them to do. You're in Walmart, and they're not screaming and carrying on and being a bunch of banshees. I mean, you appreciate that, right? I mean, we, we admire it when we see it in other, in other families, right? We admire seeing obedience. But the concepts of knowing and keeping were very important to John in this epistle. In fact, he used the words to know approximately 40 times in his writing. So 40 sometimes he says, I want you to know. And then he uses the word keep 10 times. So the concepts of knowing and keeping were very important to John because they're important to Jesus Christ in the example that he has for us. And the word know comes from the Greek word gnosko, which means to know something experientially. To have participated in an event. In other words, it's not just knowing something uh, about maybe that you got from reading an article or reading a book or watching a video or so forth. It is something that you have experienced. You know firsthand knowledge about it. It's real to you. It resonates with you because you've done it. And that's the word gnosko here, to know. So when John talked about knowing Jesus, you've experienced a relationship with Him. It's not just something you read about. It's not just something that you've heard about. It's not just what somebody else has said. It's an experience, a relationship. You know about it. Now, when I was in high school, I was invited to the Polar Bear Club. Now, if you know anything about the Polar Bear Club, you know... First invitation, I'm like, absolutely not. And if you don't know what the Polar Bear Club is, it's like jumping in the lake when there's still ice on the lake. I grew up in Minnesota. I'm just telling you, as much insulation as I have doesn't help. 
But here I am. We crossed over the border into Canada. We're uh, standing at the shore of Butterfly Lake. And everyone's jumping in as part of the polar bear club. And I'm watching from the dock. You guys are nuts. And you're a chicken. Dude, I don't know about you, but I got way too much pride to be called a chicken. I mean, you can call it what you want. I ain't doing it. Chicken. It only took about three chickens. I cannot let all these people show me up. Boom. Into the water we went. Plush with the ice. Joined the polar bear club. It's the one and only time I've ever done it. Ain't doing it again. I remember going under the water going, <gasps> and trying to get out, and I couldn't breathe. Dumb. But I can say I did it. I don't just know about the polar bear club. I've experienced it. And I know it will take your breath away and make you freeze, especially when you jump out and the air hits you. That's what it means to know Jesus. You didn't just hear about it. You didn't just read about it. You didn't just take what so-and-so said about it. You've experienced it. So he says, this is a really powerful concept. You participate with it. And that's where I see the difference of claiming to know Jesus is different than just knowing about Jesus He's more than just a historical figure that came to this earth and died on a cross. He's more than just a person who kind of gives us some values to live by the golden rule. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Nice little cute little package of knowing Jesus. It's experiencing a life of walking with him. And knowing him because of who he is. You have a relationship with him. He speaks to you. You speak to him. And apart from that relationship, you don't know him. So he goes on, John reiterates the reality of truly knowing Jesus Christ by this. And it's the first test of a genuine relationship. It's obedience. So in these passages that I'm about to read, it really points to the fact of whether or not I truly know Jesus. So bear with me. John chapter 14, verse 15, I've said this many times, starts off with one of the most powerful two-letter words that's ever been put in, in the English dictionary. If. If. If is a huge, huge word. It changes the outcome of everything. If I were a multimillionaire, that's a pretty big if, right? If I had a Rolls Royce. If I had a Rolex. If I had, you fill in the blank. If is a huge word. It says, if changes everything. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the whole idea behind keep is obedience. In John chapter 14, verses 21 through 24, it says, He who has my commandments and keeps or obeys them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jump down to verse 24. It says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the whole word behind, or the whole idea behind keep is obey. He who does not love me will not obey me. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. He says, this is important to the Father. If you love me, you will obey me. 
Luke chapter 6, verse 47 through 49 was the first time I ever preached a message was on this passage. I was 13 years old in Woodcrest Baptist Academy in Minnesota. Luke six forty-seven through 49 says, Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which is stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So here's a word picture, a story, if you will, that re- resembles obedience or the lack thereof. So here's two men. They're both building a house. Now, these two men are pictures of people who both heard the truth. This man's building a house, and he says, you know what? A house is really important. I want it to last a lifetime. I want it to, I want it to be a house that God is in. I want it, I want it to be a house that, that is, that where Christ is seen and so forth. And it's the guy who hears, and he resembles a guy who digs deep and lays a strong foundation. I mean, the cement is deep, the house is strong, there's rebar in it, it's fixed, it's solid, and the, and the rains come, the storms come, the tornadoes come, and it does not shake the house because it has a strong foundation. He heard and did. The man over here did the same house. I mean, on the outside, it looked the same. I mean, he has a nice roof, he's got a nice roof, he's got a nice... Siding, he's got a nice siding. He's painted well. It's painted well. Doors, man, everything on the outward looks the same. I mean, they're both beautiful houses. The problem is this guy didn't dig a deep foundation. Not a lot of cement, not a lot of brick, not a lot of rebar, not a lot of effort got into the foundation. Same tornadoes, storms come through, and it blows it off its foundation. That's the man who also heard, just like he did, but chose not to do. The principle that you get from this verse, these verses in Luke 6, 47 through 49 is this. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings destruction. And I don't care who you are or how old you are, that principle will be lived out through your entire life. God will honor obedience. But disobedience often brings heartache and destruction and failure. So he says... When the storms come, how are you going to stand? Will your structure stand or will it fall? This is a ruin of that house was great. So he goes on here in 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep His commands. When we obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments And then he goes on to say something that we don't think about too often. You've probably said it to your kids a time or two, but he uses this phrase, and his commandments are not burdensome. You ever given your child something to do, and it's like, oh, I don't want it. Anybody ever had that before? I've seen it in my kids. I don't know if your kids are perfect, but mine weren't. Sorry, guys, you weren't perfect. We had a rule in our house. If there was 30 seconds of silence with David, you better go find out where he's at. There's going to be a whole bottle of baby powder on the entire floor. There's going to be a whole tube of Desident on the floor. He's going to be standing in the toilet saying, I slushed the toilet, Mama. You know, 
You don't give him 30 seconds. David was our wild child. But have you ever given a kid a simple command and it's just like you would have thought that you just told him to you know, take down the Empire State Building brick by brick? It was just overwhelming, just too much. You've been over the top. You bet you just pushed me too far, Mom. So he says, you, you think I was just asking you to like go go, you know, take your fingernails off one by one. Something so painful and hard. He says, My commandments that I've requested of you are not burdensome. And when we're really honest with ourselves, when that still small voice in our mind, when God is speaking to us through his word, and when somebody says something and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you about doing something, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not usually burdensome. It's just oftentimes inconvenient. It's inconvenient. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how many times God has asked me to do something when I'm in the middle of doing something I'm doing that is important to me and that I want to get done. And God says, do that. And I'm like, it never comes at a convenient time. I'm just telling you. I'll be working on something, and somebody else will say, can you? And I'm like, "Mm, sure. I don't really want to. Why? Because my agenda is important to me. He says, my commandments are not burdensome. And so we come down to this phrase, love equals obey. If I love him, I will obey him. And in James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, lest we what? Are deceived. So let's look back at that verse in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The first test of a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is obedience. The second test is found in verse 4. Verse 4 says, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Talk is cheap. A lot of people talk talk right sooner or later who they really are will be revealed what we say or do who we say we are will eventually be authenticated by our life and how we live but here's what i found really interesting in this verse john doesn't tiptoe around what he's saying he doesn't mince words in fact he doesn't even try to be nice about it He just says, you're a liar. Wow. Anybody enjoy being called a liar? Doesn't that just like strike at the core and you just want to slap somebody who says that? I do. That's my flesh. Say I didn't, I said something wrong. I want to defend myself and fight back and say, no, you didn't hear me right. And I want to fight. That's my flesh. But he says, if you say you love Jesus but your life is not modeling it, you're a liar. Wow. So John says, if we choose to not obey him, we're liars, and we give evidence that the truth is not in us. Over and over, we prove whether or not, by our life, we know him. First, by by our obedience. Secondly, by our honesty. Um... 
Let's think about this this week. You know what liars do? Liars deceive, right? Liars deceive. And what I found is that when someone lies, they often have to continue to lie, and the circle of lies gets bigger to continue what they've tried to deceive other people to believe. So there's a show that comes on TV once in a while. It's called 48 Hours Hard Evidence. Anybody ever seen that before? Yeah, I know a lot of you aren't going to raise your hand because they ain't going to watch that. But, you know. no, every once in a while, we'll be flipping through the channels and 48 Hours is on. And they'll have the suspect sitting in a chair, and they'll ask him questions. So were you there on the night of such and such, and did you were you involved with this altercation? And, oh, no, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. But they know that there's six people over here said they, he was there. Oh, no, I wasn't there. No, I, I was there earlier in the day, but I wasn't there when it took place. And this guy over here said, yeah, he had a gun. No, I ain't got a gun. I don't even own a gun. Well, did you have a, did you get in an altercation with something? No, no, that, that, was, that was a week before. No. Yeah, he was there. And, he, and what are they doing? They're lying and trying to deceive the person who knows the truth into believing something that isn't true. In the end, God's word says, your sins will find you out. And here's the thing. There's a lot of people that we can hide a lot of things in front of. There are things that we can do that no one else will ever know about. We can hide it from our parents. We can hide it from our kids. Hide it from our employer. We can hide it from our coworkers. We can hide it from anyone around us. But we can't hide it from God. I mean, we can walk into church every week and say, Hey, how's it going? Hey, great, man. Great. How you doing? Oh, wonderful. Give the presence of things are just wonderful. We're good at it. Give the air that we're walking with Jesus. In fact, we're in church today. Let me walk over here and put my offering in the box. No, no I'm not saying anybody does that. I'm just saying, we can put on an air that everything is just good. We're walking with Jesus, and God is just so great. Amen, amen, you know. We can hide it from a lot of people. We're good at it. In fact, I was amazed that the other Friday night, we talked about this concept when Jesus says, put out the withered hand. Well, why would I want to put out the withered hand? Put out the good hand. That's what we like to do, right, guys? We want to put out the good hand, the one that everybody sees, the one that looks good. We want to put our best foot forward. And Jesus says, no, put out the withered hand. Why? Because it's our nature to want to put out the best one. Sometimes our flaws need to be seen. In fact, he goes on to say, confess your faults one to another. We need each other. We need the encouragement of each other. We don't want to be deceitful. He says, if you don't obey, and if you're not honest, he says, you're a liar. You're a deceiver. Truth is not in you. Man, those are harsh words. And he doesn't even tiptoe around it. He doesn't even try to be nice about it. Comes to the third test in verse 5. He says, but... Whoever keeps his word, and that word keep means to obey, whoever obeys his word, 
Truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. So he says, if the truth is in you, love is being perfected. Third test is love. Do you love people? Well, I, I generally love people, but you know, I just get too busy to show it. Then do you really love people? I mean, I love people, but I'm just, I, I, I don't have time for that. Right, because if I'm not willing to give up my time and my energy and my efforts and what I was important to me, do I really love people? Because love is a decision that results in a action. We've said that definition for years. Love is a decision that results in an action. You want to take it further and it expects nothing in return. Bottom line is, love is not just a feeling. I think I figured that out in our first year of marriage when, towards the end of our first year, Jake was born. And I remember sitting up on the couch all night, holding him upright because he had a cold and he had a cough and he had some chest congestion. And so I slept sitting straight up, holding him in my arms and chest. Why did I do that? Well, first of all, he needed to, he, he laying down was made him cough more, so he held him up. And I just let him sleep in my arms all night, straight against me. I remember that night, I was tired. I didn't sleep very good. I like my bed. Anyone else? I don't know about you, but fish begin to stink about three days out of the aquarium. I need to get in my own aquarium, my own bed. I don't like. I don't care how nice the motel is. I want my own bed. Why? Love goes beyond a feeling. It results. It's a decision that results in an action. Because I love him, I'm willing to sacrifice my sleep, my rest to make sure that he's okay. What of our love that we claim that we have for the Lord results in an action in our life? He says, when you love him, it's being matured in you. It grows. It deepens. How many of you have been married for more than a year? Yeah, right? How many of you dated for a year or two before you got married even? Right? Whatever the case may be, I can tell you of a certainty. I love my wife now after more now after 26 years than I did when I started dating her. Right? Why? Because love matures. I wouldn't want to go back to that love that I said I had when we first started dating before we were married. I don't want that was immature. That was not very deep. 26 years later, I'd much rather have that love than this love. Because it has grown. And it has matured. That's what it should be like with God. How is our love being matured? Perfected is the word he uses. It means to, to mature. Do you love him more now today than you did when you first met him? Do you love Jesus more today than when you did when you first met him? I wouldn't want to go back to when I first met him. I'm thankful for that day. I'm excited about that day. But I'm more excited today because I've learned some things. It has grown. It has matured in me. I wouldn't want to go back. So he says very clearly, love. You know, a motivation to be, do, say, go, act, react, is often our love or the lack thereof. If you're willing to go do something for someone, oftentimes it is because you love them. 
If you're willing to do something for them, it's because you love them. And if you don't do it, it also says that how much love you don't have for them. Obedience to God's command is living proof of one's genuine love. And as a result, that love is being perfected or matured in us. So it's a third test. How are you doing on the quiz so far? Number four. We see the last one in verse six. Verse six says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So the last test that we see in this passage is walking as Christ walked. So here's the question. Do you walk as Jesus walked? We've heard the phrases. We see the symbols, the t-shirts, WWJD. What would Jesus do, right? It's kind of ran its course and it's kind of dissipated. It's come back a time or two and it'll probably come back again somewhere down the road. Somebody will start marketing t-shirts and necklaces and bracelets again somewhere. Make another run at it. Here's what I found in my life. I know what Jesus would do. I don't want to do what Jesus did. I want my way. I'm just being honest. I want what I want. Am I willing to walk as Jesus walked? And you know, it starts about every day, about 6.30. It really does. Because as soon as that alarm goes off, we have a choice to make. I can either fight the flesh and get up and get going, or I can give in to the flesh and roll over. And here's where the selfishness kicks in. Hey, honey, can you? Well, you got two legs. What's wrong with your feet? Well, nothing. I just thought you'd do it for me. Guys, I'm speaking to you now. Like, if, if the shoe fits, put it on and tie it tight. Bottom line is, we're selfish. We, we expect, you know, hey, Johnny, can you? Or not can you, Johnny, do. <laughs> Why? That's what kids are for, so we can tell them what to do. Right? Yeah, no. It's our flesh. Are we willing to walk as Christ walked? In humility. In servitude. And so John uses the phrase abiding, which means to dwell or remain or to continue. In. And he uses it in his gospel 41 times and in his epistle alone 26 times. The phrase in him or Christ occurs more than 130 times in the New Testament. I think those concepts are pretty important to, to God the Father. So to abide 41 times. begin to see that it's really important. So how important is the principle of abiding in Christ in our daily living? Verse 6, he says this. He who says he abides in him ought to himself also to walk as he walked. Are we abiding? So you can't really walk until you are abiding. Otherwise, you're just nervously going wherever you want to go. The concept of abiding means to dwell in him. So John illustrated the portrait of abiding in Christ in John 15 using the image of a tree and its branches. In John chapter 15, verses 4 through 10, he says this, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and as they gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will all be my disciples. So he exemplifies what it means to abide by this tree. A tree that is nourished and bears fruit, it's profitable. But if that tree doesn't bear fruit, what good is it? Those limbs are pruned, gathered, thrown in the fire. Why? Useless. The idea of abiding means to dwell in. And then he says in verse 9, As a father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. The last test of a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ is walking as he walked. The love is perfected. It's maturing in you. You've learned to become obedient. You've learned to walk in honesty. You've learned to display love. And you're walking as Christ it's the picture of Jesus Christ in you. Which is exactly what John the Baptist says. I, I want to bear image. I want to be a reflection. I want to be a mere image of Jesus. Don't see me. See Jesus. So here's the question. How would you pass the test? If, and let me say this. We all have a reputation whether we like it or not. And when your name and when my name is mentioned immediate thoughts come to that person's mind. Fact. All I have to do is say Trump. Oh, you got a whole big old arsenal of words that come to your mind. If I say Biden or Kamala Harris, a whole big litany of adjectives come to your mind. If I say Democrat, if I say Republican, if I say any thousand words, immediately it connotates a word picture. Some good, some not so good. But when Pastor Ken has said, man, what comes to the mind? When John is mentioned, or Julie is mentioned, or Sarah, or Mike, to the people that know you, what's the words that come to mind? Is it obedience? Honesty? love picture of Jesus Christ really doesn't matter so much to them as much as it matters to God but I wonder have we passed the test of being a genuine child of Christ by these four things if not it should at least cause us to think do I really know him because if I can live a life of selfishness and dis- or disobedience and selfishness, you know, all the opposites of these things that we talked about. Living for self, it just says I don't know him. And knowing him equals being like him. I don't know about you, but that's challenging. I need to work on some of these things. My flesh is way too strong. But he's given us the picture of what it looks like to know him. Let's work on it. Lord, thank you for what we're learning from First John. And Lord, I'm certain, Lord, I'm, the, the phrase that jumps out to me this morning, Lord, is a liar. One who deceives. 
Lord, I pray that that would not be us. Lord, we're not calling for perfection. Lord, you never asked for us to be perfect. But you did say, be holy as I am holy. You did say, Lord, that obedience is important. You did say that we should be honest. You did say that we should have love. You did say that we should walk as your son Jesus walked. And Lord, I pray that if these things are not in our life, Lord, that you would show us that maybe we need to truly come into a relationship with you. Maybe you're trying to get our attention, Lord, and reminding us that maybe we don't know you like we think we know you. We haven't experienced the real relationship. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, every week we have an opportunity to respond to the things that we've heard. Do you know him experientially? Not just about him. Are these things in your life that need to be there? If not, the solution is really simple. It really is. Repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It really is that simple. Changes everything. Changes everything once you have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself and God knows my heart, some of these things aren't in my life. I can't say from my actions and attitude that I really do walk in obedience or honesty or love or even as Christ walked these things need to change you say pastor if I'm honest with myself and God knows my heart I'm not sure that I'm a child of God but I'm concerned about it maybe this morning you just need to simply say Lord, uh, uh, pastor pray for me I want to know Jesus I'm not sure I do but I, I want to know him Anyone like that would say, uplifted hand, no one's looking. Just between me and you, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure, but I'm concerned about it. Yes, I appreciate that. Anyone else? Yes. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. Anyone else say, Pastor, I'm not sure, but I'm concerned about it. Would you pray for me? The couple of you that raise your hand, I would love nothing more than to take a minute this week and talk to you about that so you can know for certain. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that we'll get to in a few weeks, says, These things have I written unto you who believe that you may know you have eternal life. It's not about hoping or wishing or thinking, because we might think wrong. We might wish wrong. He says, These things have I written that you may know you have eternal life, that you have a relationship with Jesus. I'd love to talk with you about that. But how about the rest of us? You say, well, I'm a child of God. That's not a question but there's some things in my life that need to improve. I need to show more obedience, more uh, honesty, more love, more walking like Christ. God's convicted your heart. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm like that this morning. Yes, 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 all over. Can I just challenge you, anyone that's raised your hand, your heart towards the Lord, would you just take a moment and pray? Just take a moment and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for being selfish or forgive me for being disobedient. Forgive me for not being honest. Forgive me for not showing love. Forgive me for walking in my own way, not your way. And God's word reminds us, as we saw a couple weeks ago, he says, if we confess our sins, he's always faithful and just to forgive us. 
But it takes a step of initiative on our part to say, I, I realize that I'm not who I need to be. There's some things that need to change. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord, thank you for how you work in our hearts and our lives, Lord. And I pray, God, that this week, Lord, we might have opportunity to make certain, Lord, of our walk with you, our relationship with you. And for these couple that raise their hand, Lord, I pray, God, that you would work in their hearts to draw them to yourself, Lord, to show them their need of a relationship with you, Lord. I pray, God, that you remove all doubt, all fear, Lord, that they may just certainly rest in the confidence of a knowing you and a relationship with you. And, Lord, for each of us who acknowledge there's some things that need to improve and some things that need to change, God, with your help, might we be faithful to do that this week? Because we can't do it in and of ourselves, Lord. We can't do it without you, Lord. So I pray that you'd work in our hearts. Give us the ability to be obedient, to be honest, to be, Lord, full of love and to walk as you walked. That we might please you, Lord. So give victory, we pray, this week. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.